Amanda. Clay. Do you like scary movies? Yeah. Yeah, I think I do. Do you like scary movies? I do, and I think a lot of other people do too, and we cover a lot on our show, but there are a lot that I think people are fans of that we don't cover, like, say, uh, Friday the 13th, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street Part 5, The the Dream (laughs) Master, or whatever. All of the Halloween franchise? All of the Halloween, minus two of them, I guess. But we want to change that, because Halloween is approaching, it's very spooky time, we want to give you more horror movie content. So what we'd like to do is on Patreon, we would like to start covering these franchise movies one by one so we can really dig into, you know, the worst that horror movies have to offer instead of the best. (laughs) But in order to do that, we have to hit a certain level of fundraising on our Patreon, which you can help us do. So if you like what you hear on Rotten Horror Picture Show, you can head over to patreon.com slash the Penske file and uh, sign up. And if we reach our goal then we'll be bringing you more horror movie coverage, and you'll also get access to all the other stuff we do at the Penske File, which includes other sci-fi film reviews, Star Trek rewatches, content consumption discussions, and so many other things. I don't know how, how we have time to do any of this. It's a lot. It's a lot of, a lot of material. It really is, and I yeah. <laughs> don't have a job currently. Um <laughs> Even more reason for you to sign up for the Patreon. So if, if you'd like to do that, Amanda and I would love to bring you some more horror movie content. So uh, thank you guys and happy early Halloween. Spooky Halloween. everyone welcome again to the rotten horror picture show the horror movie podcast where we talk about films off of the rotten tomatoes 200 best horror movies of all time list my name is clay and with me as always is amanda amanda how are you doing i'm great how are you clay i'm good i'm good i'm I'm very good (laughs) um today we will be talking about number 185 which is Candyman, 1992's Candyman. Uh, which is uh, a movie that I have I've seen once, and I haven't uh, and I I didn't I didn't love it when I saw it. I saw it maybe like <laughs> 10, 10, 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and after this viewing, I still I still don't think that I love it. I think I uh, uh, appreciate it more, <laughs> but okay, uh, okay. I find it kind of I find it a little bit um, un. Uh, I I, I want I'm looking forward to getting into Candyman as a character because I find him a little bit uh, unclear as to what we're supposed to think of him. Yeah. Um, but I mean, it's it features it features Tony Todd as the as the main character, and I, I think Tony Todd, if not for the character of Candyman, his voice alone uh, 
deserves to be on the uh, totem pole of great movie monsters because it's a very um, imposing and instantly recognizable voice. Yeah, let's just say that uh, Tony Todd's charisma is doing a lot for this movie. Oh, yeah. Big time. Yeah. Um, had you seen this one before? No, I hadn't. This one, this one was actually on my list for a really long time. Mm-hmm. Um, which is probably too bad because upon watching it, I was very, very disappointed. Because <laughs> 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 I think I had built it up in my head, like, "Ooh, this is going to be so interesting, and I'm so excited to see this." And then sure. I watched it and was just like, "Well, fuck." Yeah, I think to sum it up before we get into it. I think that Candyman has a lot of great ideas and a lot of great images, but that's kind of, I th- I feel like it's not really implemented and doesn't hang together as well as it could. And yeah. I am, I am really looking forward to the remake that's coming out, I think later this year or possibly next year. If, if everything, everything's been shifted till next year. I'm pretty sure it's um, still this year. Oh, it is. Well, I'm very yeah. much looking forward to that as being written by uh, Jordan Peele because there is a lot of subtext in this movie that I think he probably has been salivating over <laughs> digging into for a very long time. Yeah, yeah, um, I have a lot to say about this kind of thing, so I'll hold excellent. I'll hold it. Uh yeah, so we're going to play the trailer real quick and then we will be right back to talk about Candyman. Have you ever heard of Candyman? If you look in the mirror, you say his name 5 times. In cities everywhere. Candyman. They whisper his name. Right. Candyman. It's just a story. Candyman. Candyman. Just a ghost story. Candyman. An entire community starts attributing the daily horrors of their lives to a mythical figure. The legend first appeared in 1890. He was attacked mutilated and burned to death poor candy man helen a woman died in there leave it everyone knows he isn't real that's modern oral folklore everyone except helen lyle where did i it ain't safe around here i don't scare too easy well no balvusa jane they ain't never gonna catch him who candy man who is that? I came for you. Do I know you? Now she is about to discover. Helen? Get out! Get out! What's behind the mystery? I'm sick. What's behind the legend? Listen, he's under the bed! And most terrifying of all. Come with me. What's behind the mirror? He's here. Candyman, you don't have to believe. Just beware. All right, number 185 on this list is Candyman with a 74% Rotten Tomato score with a 78.643 adjusted. I think this is, is this the lowest movie we've done so far? Uh, uh, nope, America, no. American Psycho was 197 and is no longer on the list. So technically this is the lowest. <laughs> but I feel like American done. Psycho's scores were better. 
I think that they were. Yes, I think I think the the percentage was higher on American Psycho. Um, that was like six months ago by our time, so I don't even remember what it was. Yeah, but. I have no idea. Directed by Bernard Rose, written by Bernard Rose, based on the short story "The Forbidden" by Clive Barker, starring Virginia Madsen, Tony Todd, and Xander Berkeley in an extremely Xander Berkeley role. And if you know who Xander Berkeley is, he was like one of the top five premier shithead actors yep. of the of the nineties. Great category. Oh, absolutely. I feel like I feel like he kind of took over from uh, for uh, Miguel Ferrer. Who is is like oh. top of the heap of shithead actors? That's a really um, good call. Miguel Ferrer is is a lot more uh, active of a shithead. Xander yeah. Berkeley is is a lot more of like a skeevy shithead. Yeah, um, he's also he's kind always, of like a like a mundane shithead. We've all known yeah, this mundane guy. shithead is a really good way to put it. He's famously uh, the one of the foster parents, the foster parents who gets the knife through his face in Terminator Two. Uh, we just watched him as the the uh, turncoat secret agent, in, uh, not secret agent, uh, secret service member in Air Force One. Yeah, who's not uh, even given on... a good motivation for what he does. Right, right. He just yeah. really likes Kazakhstan, I guess. It's just a shithead. Uh, and he was on twenty. He was on twenty four. But we're just going to talk about Xander Berkeley. Yeah. It's it's <laughs> it's really Xander fitting. Berkeley podcast. <laughs> it's really fitting uh, that we, that the episode about Candyman we spend talking. <laughs> Entirely about an, an unimpressive white man. An extremely mediocre white dude. Yes. Uh, anyway, Xander Berkeley, magnificent shithead actor. He's great in everything. Um, Amanda, what happens in this movie? Skeptical graduate student Helen Lyle befriends Anne-Marie McCoy while researching superstitions in a housing project on Chicago's near north side. From Anne-Marie, Helen learns about the Candyman, a knife-wielding figure of urban legend that some of her neighbors believe to be responsible for a recent murder. After a mysterious man matching the Candyman's description begins stalking her, Helen comes to fear that the legend may be all too real. Mm -hmm. Yes, so some things you will find in this movie include Mm -hmm. expository Ben Franklin. Gotta have him. uh, Toilet bees. Worst kind. Absolutely. Uh, sexy bad boy Ted Raimi. I don't know if I can handle that one. We might have to expand <laughs> on that a little bit. We'll come back to it. Uh, softcore Dana Scully. Mm-hmm. And questionably questionable parenting? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, given what happens with uh, Trevor and his skeevy relationship with his student... I don't know if if Stacy the student really had a lot of uh positive role mo- male role models in her life which drove her into the arms of a much older man who is clearly cheating on his wife. So I'm just I'm just drawing <laughs> conclusions that they are putting in front of us. This is a movie about subtext and I am reading all of it. <laughs> so clearly the uh the questionable parenting bingo square this week was brought to you by Clay. <laughs> I'm just trying to I'm just trying to make sure all of the spines on the bookshelf match, you know, because you don't want to have that one. That's just a different color and throws the entire thing off. All right. So, uh, did you ever do bloody Mary or anything like that when you were, when you were younger? Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, uh, I, I, I don't think I ever had the balls to do it, frankly. Uh, really? I, 
Yeah, it was. I just didn't want to. I didn't want to open that door just in case. I think. <laughs> just in case. I mean, I was the sort of thirteen-year-old girl who wore an upside-down cross made out of nails on a chain. So oh, shit, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I had I had uh, older cousins who would babysit me. Um, mm. I, I'm the I'm the second youngest on my mom's side, so a lot of her sister's kids would babysit us. Um, and I very clearly remember one of my older cousins while babysitting me, telling me about a party she was at where they did a Ouija board thing. And then she Ooh. thought that she saw a demon afterwards. Oh. Or so I, I forget exactly what the specifics of it were, but oh, it was, it was enough where I was like, I'm interested to know more about this, but I also would like to do so from afar. So I probably won't engage this myself. <laughs> I'm just imagining like six or seven year old Clay pulling out a notebook and being like, this is as close as I'm going to get. Tell me everything. Yeah. Well, I, uh, I do have, I may have told this before uh, on this show before. I can't remember. But uh, when I was in the fifth grade, my, at a parent teacher conference, my uh, teacher at the time asked my mother in his very thick accent, uh, what is his fascination with the supernatural? And oh. I wish I had been there to hear it because that's some Van, Abraham Van Helsing shit right there. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, yeah, so uh, you've got we've got Candyman, who is is a uh, he's sort of like a uh, he's kind of similar to Freddy Krueger in a sense, as far as uh, the role that he plays in the community. Uh, not specifically, um, but he's he's kind of this boogeyman, and he is very much like in the in the tradition of Bloody Mary. You have to say his name five times into a... Is it specifically a mirror, I guess? Yeah, it is, right? Yes, yeah. Yeah, that's all cool. Um, <laughs> five times is a little much, though. It's like, a lot. I was wondering, who determines the hierarchy of that? Like, is it is it like you have to, you have, to have tenure in order to get down to three? <laughs> like, is do the new guys... Trevor, the, Trevor are, slash Xander Berkeley would, would relate to that statement. Yes. <laughs> like, do you have to... Uh, do the new boogeyman ghosts... Do they have to, is it like six to 10, depending on uh, where you stand in the pecking order? <laughs> right, right. And when you're really badass and you're a really scary ven- revenge demon, is it, are you, do you get down to just like two? Or, or does, if somebody right. says your name once, do you appear? Or on the other side, and this speaks to me not exactly knowing what to think of his character, he could just be being extra considerate where he's like, listen, if you're going to do this, you really got to commit to it. You got to go five. I'm not just I'm not just waiting to jump you like, you know, uh, drunk ass Beetlejuice over here doing three. I need to know that you really want me to come and kill you. Well, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm not going to disagree with that because there is this weird um, amongst all the other weird things in this movie. There's this sort of weird feeling about about the Candyman where he's not like he's not just all about the like wanton murder spree right right. like he seems very uh kind of put out and a little annoyed that um Helen fucks up his situation Mm. uh because he says you came here you uh Pretty much she damaged the community's belief in him. Right. And because she did that damage and discouraged them from believing in him, 
he has to shed innocent blood. That's his whole thing. Right. That's that's where I was thinking he's kind of Freddy Krueger esque mm. in that he uh, he he kind of thrives on the fear that his his name uh, represents. And if people aren't afraid of him, then he doesn't have power or something like that. Yeah, yeah, um, there's that and definitely the uh, the relationship between him and Helen is kind of similar to the Freddy Krueger Nancy dynamic. Yeah, I think that's where it gets a little bit dicey for me as far as the character because I, I'm totally on board with the first half of that. Um, mm-hmm. It's the relationship with uh, Helen which goes into this sort of... Uh, dracula thing where she's the (laughs) like the reincarnation of his dead love from 200 years ago or 100 years ago or whatever that he's trying to win over to his side by gaslighting her and framing for framing her for a bunch of murders (laughs) i i that stuff is a little bit harder for me to track um and i I, maybe we should just just get into it I, i i uh, I wasn't sure what to think of him, and you kind of said this—you said the same when we were talking earlier. And I found a quote. This is from IMDb, um, from the director, where he where he says, "Quote says many many think of Candyman as one of horror genre's most terrifying villains, but Rose said that quote the idea always was that he was a kind of romantic figure, and again, romantic in sort of the Edgar Allan Poe sense." It's the romance of death. He's a ghost, and he's also the resurrection of something that is kind of unspoken or unspeakable in American history, which is slavery as well. So he's kind of come back, and he's haunting what is the new version of racial segregation in Chicago. And I think there's also something very seductive and very sweet and very romantic about him, and that and that's what makes him interesting in the same way there is about Dracula. In the end, the boogeyman is someone you want to surrender to. You're not just afraid of. There's a certain kind of joy in his seduction, and Tony was always so romantic. Tony ties him in so elegantly, and is such a gentleman. He was wonderful. I agree with that last part. He seems to be a really nice guy. My friend Pat (laughs) met him once in the airport, and if you ever run into Pat, ask him to regale you with that story, and he will gladly do it. Yeah, I, I have a lot of conflicting feelings about, I, I agree. Yes. About that statement, about this movie, about the character. Like, I will preface this all by saying... If you can't tell, <laughs> lis- listeners, mm-hmm. we're kind of having a hard time figuring out how to drop into this one. <laughs> yeah, if you can't tell, listeners, we're obviously two white people. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it's it's like when you watch this movie... It's very clear that this was written and created by a lot of white people in the early 90s. Mm. Where I think, is Bernard Rose white? Yes. Oh, Bar- Bernard Rose is white. Yes. yes. <laughs> I just assumed he was not white, but no. apparently he is. No, I looked up. I actually took a little time this evening to look up uh Bernard Rose and the producers of this film and the cinematographer and I think the editor as well and they are all white that's really fascinating (laughs) and Clive Barker who wrote the short story this is based on also a white man 
Well, uh, I, I was going to mention, uh, I was going to ask you this, you know, the, in the movie, they talk about um, uh, Candyman being this sort of romantic figure. Mm-hmm. And uh, the original version of Candyman in the story is apparently he's uh, described as an imposingly possible white man. He is described as having a rather unnatural shade of yellow that, of course, adds to his candy theme with an unruly red beard, which sounds right up your alley. So I don't know if that if if that would be more attractive to you if it was that. But. Clay is making fun of me because I am married to a ginger. No, that's not why. I was just... But but seriously, yeah, it's um it's an interesting choice. It's an interesting change that makes honestly it I, I don't I don't know what to think of that now. Uh because there's so much subtext going on in the story and it's really interesting subtext and the subtext is so much more interesting than the actual movie. <laughs> yeah. Because this this backstory of Candyman as this um, I believe he was the son of a freed slave, so he's not he's not himself a slave, who is then who uh, became a painter, and who then uh, was painting a white woman's portrait. And I can't remember the exact specifics of what the breakdown is, but essentially, I believe the father of the woman sends a group of hooligans to. I may, maybe he was having an affair with her. I think it was something. Yeah, I, like I that. think they fall in love. Yes. Yes. And ultimately, he's killed in this really ghastly manner where they cut his hand off and they cover him with honey and he's stung to death by bees. And I think then they, they burn him, I think, after that. Yeah, I think that's suppo- supposedly part of the legend. Yeah. And this idea that this um, this spirit, this uh, spirit of, of vengeance and death comes from that background is is very novel in horror movies i the the as far as i can remember tony todd the candy man is probably the first high profile black uh monster outside of blackula and and blackula is or, or blackenstein i think there was a blackenstein as well but those are both those are both um interpretations of pre-existing things obviously right Candyman is more or less a wholly original character. So it's it's a big deal. And giving him that, that background is very specific and very interesting. Um, but then when they get into the story of this movie, it's like I, Helen is so uninteresting. And yeah. she's just like this white lady who's trying to g- get some stuff for her, the dissertation she's writing out of the worst neighborhoods of, of Chicago and she yeah. just like backs her way into this uh yeah it's, it's spirit a very... of spirit of uh, of uh uh born from prejudice and hate and it's just it's just really weird <laughs> <laughs> well it's 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 so it's weird on so many levels the way that this is executed because i i agree with what you're saying where this movie takes what could be a really compelling and horrifying and sympathetic origin story for this like quote unquote monster like Candyman, Mm -hmm. Um, because essentially his story with some modification, some significant modification, actually, but his basic story is like Emmett Till. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Who was the young man? I think he was, Oh my God, he was, I mean like practically a child. He was like 14 or 15. 
right. who was um, beaten horribly and, and lynched and murdered by a bunch of white men for like, I think he whistled at a white lady. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't even think he, he like, he didn't even actively flirt with her. He didn't do anything. Right, um, right. And his backstory was that he, he was from Chicago Oh, so, I did. I didn't know that. So that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So there's definitely like this historical basis um, in this in this real horrible story, and there are so many examples of these kind of horrible stories that happened to people of color and are still happening to people of color. Mm-hmm. But it, it takes that story and then it doesn't do a whole hell of a lot with it in in once it moves to the the modern day of the film. Yeah, um, it kind of, I, I mean, maybe I'm reading into this too much, but I feel like it invites it. It's like, it takes this this character whose backstory is he was horribly murdered for uh, doing, for loving a white woman um, and turns him into a monster who is essentially doing the things he was accused of. Yeah, it's so, you like, know, it's kind of weird. I was going to, that was my next thing I was going to bring up is that I find mm-hmm. it so strange that all right, we we've explained the backstory of the Candyman. He comes back as this vengeful spirit, who then starts murdering other black people. Right. Yeah. Which is like, but why? Why? Right. Why? Why is he? Why isn't he? Like, I feel like this movie would be much more interesting if it were happening in Helen's building. Which sure. Ha- she yes. even goes into all the background about how that building was originally built to be part of the projects yeah. before the I, architects realized, oh, wait, it has this great view. We can sell it for condos for so much more money. Yeah, I, I was having a little trouble tracking that backstory as they were telling it. And so I actually thought that her building used to be the projects that was then gentrified. So I thought I thought this this stuff was going to be happening in her building in sort of this like uh uh <sighs> I don't mean this euphemistically the way people use it but uh <laughs> it, like an urban version of poltergeist where it's it's like you know what I mean where it's like yeah, they yeah, they yeah. took this this building which has all of this uh violent and violent history and racism attached to it and just gentrified it into a bunch of expensive condos and you still have so you then you have this evil spirit inside it that is uh it's expressing all of this uh, uh deep seated stuff out onto the uh white people who couldn't care less because it's a nice view um yeah. they don't do that they have him specifically be rooted into the projects mm-hmm. in a in a way that yeah I I'm not like I I don't think that he has to be inherently like a spirit of vengeance I I, I don't have a problem with him just being like a, an evil boogeyman I think the movie doesn't really take a stand on any of that. You know, because yeah. because he is he is a spirit of vengeance in some sense, but he's also just killing whoever says his name five times in a mirror, regardless of race or background. But then he's also this like romantic, come come be one of me kind of. I I just don't know what to to to, to make of him. Yeah, it's it's like they they tried to make him fit into so many sort of like classic like tropes and and stances that you could have a horror movie villain take 
Mm-hmm. And because they tried to work in so many of them, like, oh, he, he's out to get revenge for his horrible murder and his sad backstory. Or, no, he's just this creepy Bloody Mary style monster who's going to kill anybody who calls on him. No, also, he's this compelling Dracula sort of seductive uh, gentleman death figure. Like, mm-hmm. it's too many different things. Like, it's it's too many different buckets to try and put one character in like an hour and 40 minute movie into right right i almost i kind of almost wish he was some sort of like monkey's paw wish fulfillment kind of character where the the urban legend is you say Candyman five times and then he shows up and hit you can sick him after someone who's wronged you or something like that mm. I, I don't know like because the the other interesting bit of subtext that they do that's seems like a cheap way to end the movie until you kind of put it in the context of of who Candyman is and where he comes from is the thing at the end where Helen ultimately also becomes a candy person I guess <laughs> uh she she herself becomes this vengeful spirit and she is ultimately born of the same kind of not as intense but she is ultimately the boogeyman of Trevor, who is representative of essentially um, the suppression of female empowerment. Because Trevor is is cheating on her. <laughs> Do you know what I mean, though? She, yeah. Trevor's, Trevor's treat, uh, cheating on her. Uh, With a much younger... Uh, much younger, yes. I hesitate to even call her a woman. She looked like yes. she was maybe 17. Mm-hmm. And you've got uh, creepy Ben Franklin, his buddy there, and they're both really dismissive of the work that Helen's doing on, on urban legends and stuff like that. He's so dismissive of the work she's doing that in the very first scene we meet him, she comes at the end of his... At the end of... He gives a lecture and he says all this stuff. And she comes down to say something to him at the end of lecture, and she says, pretty much she's been reaching out to freshmen for her thesis to gather Mm -hmm. uh, urban legends and, like, like oral folktale-style stories. And he gives this whole presentation on them in his class, Mm -hmm. and she goes and says to him, why would you do that? You knew we were talking to them about the stories that they knew and now you've given this whole lecture on all these other things, and it, it essentially has like destroyed her uh, subject pool. Right, right. And he yes. does it knowingly, and he's very yeah. dismissive of her concerns. Like he, he clearly has like from the very beginning very, very little respect for her and her work. Mm. And then the scene with with the Ben Franklin guy, he basically says to her, "Why are you even doing that? Didn't you read the paper I wrote?" Oh like, yeah, I, I, but you know the paper I wrote ten years ago or something. Yeah, ten years ago. Yeah, as though academic so, work should never be updated. Yeah, and then her story, Candyman aside, through the rest of the movie is essentially uh, be one of being locked up and thrown away because people think that she's insane, and then Trevor very very quickly dumps her uh, and gets rid of her in favor of this. Uh, younger student that he's with so there's a real sort of like yeah uh, and then her her ultimately turning into this boogeyman is is a very specific kind of boogeyman for 
that sort of for the Trevor sort of character. And so mm-hmm. it's again, it's it's really interesting subtext. But I just I don't know if the way it get I, that almost feels like a different movie. I mean, it's Jane Eyre. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yes. It's, sure. She's she's the first Mrs. Rochester. She's she's the the Mad Woman in the attic. I'm gonna pretend that I know what that means, but I did not read that. <laughs> I'll take your word for it, though. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Probably anybody who listens to this is just like, okay, yeah, all right. Um, but yeah, yeah, that there's there's well, a whole... now who's dismissing uh, myself. I don't, I, no, I don't. <laughs> um, I'm, sure, I'm sure our audience is very well read. <laughs> that's true. Um, but yeah, yeah, you're right. It, it, it's it's literally. I, th- I think in in the novel Jane Eyre, there is a very prominent plot line that kind of mirrors this. But it's also a, a trope that appears again and again in like movies and film of of like kind of the the insane woman. I don't know if you've ever read um, the Yellow Wallpaper or something oh, yes. like that. Great, yeah, that's a good one. I love yeah. that one. So there's there's a lot of layers of that. So it's trying to say sort of something about this movie. Just seems like it's trying to address uh, oppression. And mm. being being a woman and you are sort of discounted and subjugated in a certain way and being a person of color and, and there's violence enacted on you and you're subjugated in a different way. But it's, it's like it's trying to say so many different things all at once that it doesn't really say any of them well. Sure. Yeah, definitely. I don't know. It's just it's very yeah. scattered. Like even as we were watching it last night and we were we were chatting with a couple of our friends and like. There were definitely a couple times where one of us would say, like, wait, I don't understand. Why is he so obsessed with Helen? What's happening? Oh, okay. Right. She's supposed to be the reincarnation of the woman he was in love with. Or what's happening? Why does she keep getting, like, weird visions of the baby? Why doesn't she just tell them where the baby is? Yeah, like- she's, 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 she's been arrested for uh, murdering, viciously murdering this woman woman's dog and then stealing her baby and once she finds out where the baby is which is a like next door in the candy man house uh she at no point is like i think i know where the baby is <laughs> right that baby sits around for two months with nobody yeah. taking care of it and see that's an instance where i feel like you know last time we talked about the this na- this idea this narrative cone of vision idea mm-hmm. um which i'm sure someone has thought of a of a more a name for this idea long before I thought that I was brilliant in coming up with it. But I like I like your phrasing for it because I just imagine you in one of the cones you put a dog in when they've had surgery. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's very similar to that. <laughs> but like this is an instance where I feel like cops don't help the story because it would be a lot more interesting if they focused in more on uh her and Trevor without bringing in this idea that she is actively being like arrested for murder because then it it brings up all these questions where it's like well she seems to know now that Candyman is stashing the baby next door why doesn't she go tell them that or you know it's (laughs) and I and I get I get that the idea is that she's supposed to be crazy and you know it's etc etc but it's yeah I feel like the the focus of what this story is about is not quite there I, I, yeah, I just, I think it, like I said, I think it's trying to do a lot. Yeah. And it's just, it's it's trying to do too much for what it is. Mm. Um, like something I couldn't help 
but keep thinking. And I, and I feel bad. I feel like I, I kind of do this all the time when we talk about these movies where there's always like a secondary character or even a tertiary character that I am way more interested in mm-hmm. or somebody I think would be just, just fit the narrative better. Like this whole movie, all I could think of was why isn't her friend slash colleague Bernadette the main character? Sure. Yeah. Like that would be a much more interesting movie and it would say something like if you swapped the two things where if the action was taking place in Helen's apartment building, Mm -hmm. but Bernadette was the main character, Mm. you're going to get a lot more out of that in terms of like subtext and commentary on like how people of color are treated and how women of color are treated. Like, you know, like, I don't know. It just, it it feels a lot more substantive to me and a lot more clear, like then what is the movie trying to say without kind of like, I don't know. There's this weird, there's just this weirdness having Helen be the main character where it's like, Mm. you have no connection to this community. Uh, You're, you're not a very interesting character on your own. Right, yeah, and, I don't know. and if you if you had Bernadette as the as the main character, even if you didn't change anything else, and it still was taking place in 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 the projects in this violent area of Chicago, mm-hmm. you then have this uh, woman of color who is forced to confront this uh, spirit of 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 prejudice and segregation that is living inside the modern embodiment of prejudice and segregation and how she as a uh, woman of color in the present day is dealing with that instead of just having Helen basically sightseeing for a paper. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's, that's a really, the sightseeing especially is a really good way to put it where it's just like when, when they first show up the first time they go to Cabrini green, um, and, and there's a, like a couple young men like at the entrance and they're, mm-hmm. they're sort of giving them a hard time. They sort of are treating them like the cops. They're like, you know, they kind of don't want them there. And it's like, of course they don't. Cause like, I, why are they going to talk to this random white lady? Yeah. Like also there's no, like <laughs> I understand the, uh, quest, the, the fact that, Helen is is presented as a character who's like not afraid to 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 jump into the deep end of the pool and mm-hmm. is is open for experience and adventure. But there is something kind of weird about this white lady breaking into these this apartment and then busting open the the thing in the bathroom so she can yeah. climb into the next door place, which is a place where someone was brutally murdered. And yep. she's just like, no, it's fine. I'm just going to take some pictures. Uh, don't worry about it. I'm sure this place, this place is a as a trash is a dump anyway. No one's going to care. It's it's really, it's really weird. Yeah, because and it, I, don't, I don't. Sorry, I was just saying I don't know how much. I I feel like that should come across no matter when this movie came out. But I mm. wonder if some of that is a more uh, distanced view of it, given uh, the way this stuff is, is presented and thought about now versus 1992, which is fucking 30 years ago, which is blowing my mind. (laughs) 
Yeah, I, I, I think part of the problem is that in 1992, if you took a character like Helen out of this movie and put her in a slightly different like horror movie or thriller, mm-hmm. I actually think she'd be kind of a great sort of feminist main character. Sure, yeah. Because she has weaknesses, she has strengths, she she screws up sometimes, but she keeps trying mm. to push through. Like she's she's a fairly well-rounded character. I think she's got lots of like good qualities in addition to her flaws. But when you put that character in the context of this movie, there's just something uncomfortable about it. <laughs> like just this white savior complex kind of thing, like even at the very even... end when she crawls out of the pyre with the baby yeah, and she true. hands the baby back up to the mother and she sacrifices herself and then all, all the community from Cabrini Green comes to her funeral and like honors yeah, her. Was, it's that was a bit very, much. <laughs> yeah, it's very like, like you also like invaded these people's lives and homes and treated them a little bit like they were animals in a zoo. Yeah, like her, the fact that she saved that baby is completely coincidental, like inconsequential. It's not. Yeah, like, it's like she saved the baby to save herself. Right. Yes. Yeah, and it's not like her initial uh, interest in in Candyman or anything that was going on at Cabrini Green was noble in any way. Yeah, she wasn't doing this paper to try and draw attention to the plight of these people who were forced to live in these horrible projects. She's doing right. it so she can get her thesis done and get her dissertation published and get her PhD and get tenure somewhere. Right, right, exactly. And yeah, and I, I agree with you. I think if you take that element out of it and just focus on her as a character in regards to like the Trevor stuff and even... Let, let, let's say you take the the racial subtext out of it and you keep the rest. Mm-hmm. So you've got Candyman who's gaslighting her into thinking she's killing these people <laughs> while she's also doing the, the all the stuff is happening with her husband. I think she is a really interesting, like really good character. Like you said, she's she's yeah. really strong. Um, the I I really liked the scene where she made him dinner for some reason, and I know that sounds really misogynist <laughs> to say, but but you know what I mean. Like it's. There's there's something about that relationship where it's like she is going through a lot of stuff. She's mm-hmm. actively trying to put some effort into this relationship and he clearly has just come home from banging his girlfriend somewhere and <laughs> you know it's it's it really made me feel bad for her in a, in a in a scene that is fairly unremarkable as far as what's actually going on. Like it's not it's not flashy, but it's a little yeah. uh, domestic scene that I thought was really nice. Yeah, and I actually really like the way it was used uh, later on to juxtapose, like, like, like you get it from Trevor's point of view when he starts to regret what happened and, and right. at the very end, and it's sort of flashing between when the house used to look the way it used to look, um, and Helen's going through, like, kind of bustling around the kitchen and, and cooking all these things and trying to do all these things at once, but she comes out and she, like, runs over to him and gives him a kiss. And then it's flashing back and forth a little bit between that and the scene of a 17 year old Stacy mm-hmm. with her dull chef's knife that she can just slap into the palm of her hand blade <laughs> down. Um, like just goddamn butchering a root vegetable or something. I 
legit thought that she was cutting up pieces of raw meat and just throwing them into a salad. <laughs> and that that juxtaposed with, with uh, Xander Berkeley in the bathroom going, oh, I've made a terrible mistake. Yeah. Like, Helen. <laughs> but yeah, I actually, I liked the way that was used because I didn't, yeah. when, when that scene happened earlier on, I thought it was just being used to show what a shithead Xander Berkeley mm. is. And then to what have it kind shithead. of come back and hit him and, and, and get to see it come back and hit him of how badly he fucked up. Um, it was kind of great. Like I, I kind of loved that mirroring, but yeah, it's just, it's so, it's so weird in this movie that, this movie tries so hard to keep all of this stuff in and say all of it that it does justice to very little of it. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I understand that our um, reading of this is uh, probably colored a bit um, by the, by the fact that we, we have the, uh, the, um, privilege to be able to nitpick a movie like this where i know a lot of oh yeah uh, people of color love this because tony todd is such a fucking awesome character like he's so uh, he's a, a a black supervillain essentially that didn't exist yeah um so i i don't want to uh i don't want to belittle the movie in that sense but it does i mean it does feel like it's a little bit exploitative and not in like a 70s kind of way uh in just a sort of like the movie itself feels kind of like it's doing what Helen is doing where it's sort of sightseeing uh horrible racial history in order to write a paper. Yeah, and I and I think that is like I think that's so true and I think that's kind of the root of the problem and and part of the reason I brought up at the beginning uh that everybody who had a hand in shaping this movie was white and I think this is the kind of thing where like when people talk about like diversity in Hollywood and movies and all of that, like th- this is a good example of why that's important because maybe having right. one or two people of color involved in the process, maybe they would have been able to sort of smooth some of this out or like figure out a way to approach it that felt less like uncomfortable and, and just incongruous with what I think the movie is trying to do because mm. I think the movie is actually trying to, to, you know, make a really pointed commentary about how, like, people of color are treated in America, mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. the common fear that, like, oh, well, you know, a white woman is afraid of black men, and, like, why is that? Why are we taught to be that way? Um, and I, I think this movie is doing a lot, and I think it just would have benefited from somebody who could have given some uh, editorial points from inside that experience rather yeah. than from people who are so outside of it. Yeah, because like, like I said, it's just weird to me where it's like, Candyman, oh, what's his deal? Well, <laughs> he comes from a time, he comes from a time when white women were afraid of black men for no reason, but they thought that they were monsters. And okay, so what does he do now? He chases black, he chases white ladies and is an actual monster. And it's like, yeah. uh, I don't think you, <laughs> I think you're, not really passing the test here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's just like, like again, we're definitely, I think we're coming down really hard on this movie. I know. 
because well, okay. I think there are so many things we both actually see like potential in. Yes. And it's so, frustrating when it that doesn't. That aside, yeah. if we want to, if we want to take out all of that stuff and just look at the movie itself, <laughs> um, yes. I still think it, it does, it kind of dips into this territory where I feel like a lot of horror movie sequels end up going, which is like, uh, I call it the Hellraiser sequel effect because like, <laughs> By the time they got to the third or fourth Hellraiser movie, they were essentially all just uh, let's let's do a weird thing where it seems like someone's going crazy and then we'll throw Pinhead in there for five minutes. And that's (laughs) kind of the vibe I get from this movie where it's like they don't have enough story to really do anything uh, interesting or 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 pointed. So it just becomes what if she thinks she's going? What if it looks like she's going crazy because Candyman's killing these people? So should we just call this? Her. Should we just call this the Clive Barker effect in that case? Kind of, because there's a couple other things in this movie that are very much Clive Barker things. Where I'm like, ugh, I, these are my least favorite things that he does. He does them in Hellraiser too, and I just I don't like him. I mean, but, yeah, uh, he, he's very preoccupied with that sort of like um, psychosexual attraction to evil, which is fine. I have yeah, no problem no, with that. That can be very interesting, but it's like he has a very specific style. Yeah, and, and yeah. also I don't, you know. I find this movie, I think a lot of the imagery is great. I think mm. uh, Candyman, fantastic visual. That giant coat with the, the, the fur on it, um, that awesome gross hook. Oh, the yeah. Bees. We didn't <laughs> the even talk bees. about the bees. The bees are cool. He opens the, the jacket great. and his like chest is all, the bones are all exposed and stuff. That was cool. That is so awesome. But... As sort of like a microcosm of my overall problem with this movie, the first time he shows up fully, he's standing at the far, he just shows up at the far end of a parking garage, full frame, just like hanging out. And it's like, it's, there's, there's nothing visually interesting about that. And a lot of this movie takes place during the day and is not mm. shot in any sort of particularly scary presentation. I don't know. I just, like you've got all this great stuff in the uh, the Cabrini Green building with like the giant mural and the with oh the, yeah uh, the face hole is awesome. Yeah, yeah but yeah. it's just it's not implemented in a in a really interesting way. Um. Yeah, I think like, the stuff toward the end is nice when when they start getting into the stuff with the bees and the and the, and the uh the the bonfire. That stuff is pretty cool. Yeah, when it starts to get a little more um like like almost like dreamlike or nightmarish, yeah. however you yes. want to frame mm-hmm. it, um where it sort of takes on that sheen of unreality. Um cuz I I think that scene between the two of them, between the Candyman and um Helen where it's, it's sort of like their final scene together before the pyre. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're in the, the uh, kind of abandoned area of Cab- Cabrini Green. And she's sort of looking at him. And even for a second, they shoot her like she's in an old Hollywood film. Sure. Where it's this sort of like closer shot of her face with the light over it. And she's got like dreamy eyes. And she's just sort of like swooning a little bit. Mm-hmm. And he's so dashing and he does the Dracula thing and literally like sweeps her off her feet and like carries her away. Mm-hmm. 
I think that's actually a really compelling scene. And I mean, that's because Tony Todd, like, right, right. He's so good in that kind of role where he is like, he's very handsome and he's well-dressed and he's got this great voice. And yeah, it's just such a bummer when they have him just like show up in this parking lot and not capitalize on all of the charisma that he's bringing to it. Right. Yeah. Like yeah. he his his voice is fantastic and it, it his voice shows up is I think his voice is the first thing in the movie. They uh yeah, they, I think so. he has like a voiceover and and he's kind of laying out his ethos, I guess. <laughs> um and when he does finally show up, it's ultimately it, it is really great, but yeah, it's just it's this whole movie feels like they didn't really understand what they had yeah and the potential like you said the potential of what they had was 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 it was there they were putting they were rolling the camera but they weren't really super conscious of exactly the gem that they could have had yeah which has me uh i I have high hopes like you said for the Mm. uh for the jordan peele version in the fall yeah and i you know there's a um there's a documentary on Shudder right now called Horror Noir that's mm. all about um, the history of, of uh, African-Americans in horror movies oh. uh, that has a, 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 a substantial section on, on Candyman where they talk about the, the creation of the movie a bit and, and Tony Todd. I wish I had, I had remembered to watch it again before we talked about this, so maybe I wouldn't sound like such an idiot, but... Um, <laughs> Look, we're going to sound like idiots about this no, no matter I mean, what, I, both I, of I'm us. Sh- I'm sure the, the reason I, I caveated everything a few minutes ago is because I'm sure there are plenty of people who have a much, um, a, a much more, uh, uh, have much more reason to uh, point out the failings of this as far as subtext yeah. goes that probably read it a lot different than we do. Yes, so, absolutely. You know, I, I don't want to make it feel like we're, you know just doing a ha- we're just hashtagging Candyman here um <laughs> but uh but yeah it's uh it's 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 a weird movie i i i i would almost be curious to watch i have never seen any of the sequels i can't imagine they're very good but uh yeah i don't have I, high hopes i wouldn't mind checking one out just to see if if they do anything different or approach it from a different uh different angle um, I mean, it's probably worth it just for Tony Todd because he's that good. <laughs> Fair. Um, the music, the music in this, I actually I groaned when I saw Philip Glass's name in yeah. the credits. And to be completely <laughs> fair, my dislike of Philip Glass stems from one very specific thing, which is mm-hmm. the uh, I have this version of the Nosferatu, the original silent film on DVD. That has a score written by Philip Glass. No, I'm sorry. It's Dracula. It's it's the 1931 Dracula with an mm. alternate score written by Philip Glass, and I think it sucks. And so, <laughs> <laughs> so anytime I see his name attached to a movie, I kind of groan. But the music in this is fantastic. I had really mixed feelings at first, and then mm-hmm. the longer the movie went on, and I sort of realized kind of like what they were going for. Mm. Um, just, just in terms of where, yeah, where, like we were saying, Candyman sometimes does feel like Dracula, where there is that seductive, like, layer to him. So all all of a sudden this, like, kind of overwrought opera music 
started sort of working for me. But at first I was very much like, Bleh, I, I don't know. I don't like this. And then the further we got into it, I was like, okay, yeah, I get it. Yeah. Well, he wrote this, he wrote this really simple, but really um, evocative theme that uh, much like a lot of great, well, not just horror themes, but themes in general, he can adapt to different situations and different moods depending on which instruments he's using to play it and stuff like mm. that. So sometimes it's just the piano. Sometimes it's a little bit bigger and a little bit more orchestral. And I thought it was, I thought it was, very, it was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, I think that's it for, for the movie. The, the one thing uh, that I, I did really like as an idea that we don't need to hash out. Cause I think we, we did enough of it at this point, but was, <laughs> They like again talking about how it's like they've got these great ideas that they just kind of like hand wave or just gloss over is that one line where they're talking about Candyman as a concept as an urban legend mm-hmm. and they ref- they they call him uh, seeing as it he's something that is is emanating out of uh this Caprini Green area where horrible things are happening all the time they say um, an entire community starts attributing everyday horrors to a mythical fi- uh, mythical figure, which is a really interesting concept. Yeah. Especially given the situation and place that they are specifically talking about. So it's that much more unfortunate when it's like, yeah, that's a great idea. But what if he's also just in love with Virginia Madsen? Yeah. Like, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think that kind of boils down in the end, what we both keep nitpicking on where it's like, yeah, they have this great idea and this great mm-hmm. concept. And then they, they either sort of lose it halfway through or they don't see it all the way to the end or all of a sudden it goes from being one thing and then it, it, it turns into something else. And it's just kind of like, wait, but, but you had such a great idea. Like that was, mm. that was really compelling. Why aren't we talking about that still? Right. Right. Like I loved the use of um I loved the use of the graffiti. Mm. Where the graffiti in the building was sort of giving you hints about what was happening and and about the Candyman's life because he was an artist. Right. Yes. So I kind of yes. loved that tie-in that it's it's sort of like because people people treat like graffiti and street art like it's just like trash and it doesn't matter and it's just Mm. you know it's it's ugly it's just marking up buildings but some of it is actually really beautiful skillful art it's just some of it hmm? some some of it in this movie though is literally written in shit so yeah (laughs) true absolutely true and i think the fact that this is both is like Mm. i don't know i i think it's great i I wish they were they kind of leaned a little bit more into the sort of like visual symbolism that you have there Mm. Are you familiar with that with the, uh, that line, uh, sweets for the sweet? That's apparently from Hamlet. Oh, really? Yeah. I, I don't know the context of it. I just saw that on IMDb when I was looking it up. But uh, huh? I, didn't, I didn't know if maybe you knew the significance of it or not. No, that one, that one is not, uh, not in my encyclopedia. I'll have to like, Taken, look up that one. Taking a point off the English major board for Amanda. <laughs> I mean, please, please do. I feel like I've been hammering it home a little too hard lately. <laughs> um, so uh, what do you think about the placement on the list? This is uh, number 185. It's fairly low. 
Um, I am, I don't know about this because I feel like what is lacking in the movie itself is made up for by how iconic the character is. Mm. So it's a tough call for me. Yeah. I think I have a similar problem where if we're ranking this movie based just off of the Candyman character, which by the way, do we ever learn his real name? Uh, his name is Candido D. Man. <laughs> With two nope. N's. Nope. I don't know. I don't know if we do. <laughs> I, I don't think, I don't think we do. You know, yeah. If, if we're, if we're, if we're trying to rank this just off of Candyman as a character and like you were saying, he's, he's this amazing villain. Mm. And he's sort of breaking new ground, which is very, very cool. And, and I love that character and I love, I love the concept behind it, but I just, when I, when I, when you take it all together in the whole movie, I don't know if I would move this on the list. Yeah. I'm feeling pretty good about its, its position. I think. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure Jordan Peele's is going to come out in two weeks later. It's going to be number two on this list. Oh, yeah. I, yes. <laughs> <laughs> going, judging by this list, that is probably going to happen. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Quiet Place better hang on to that number four spot as long as it can because it's, it's getting bumped. It's getting bumped. Um, yeah, but I think that's going to do it for for Candyman. Uh, I hit the randomizer button. Beep, boop, boop, beep, boop, 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 boop. And uh, next time... We will be covering John Carpenter's The Thing. I am so excited for this one. <laughs> I as well. And we will be joined by a friend of mine his na- uh, named Tony McMillan, who's a, who's a writer who's working on a, a comic book called Strange Creatures, I believe it's called, which is all of, it's a fictionalized uh, telling of the special effects business in the 1980s. So he's well-versed in, in, in this stuff. And I wanted to have somebody else on just because if we didn't, it was going to be at least me essentially just reading synonyms for amazing off of thesaurus.com. And nobody wants to listen to that. So, Yeah, and I don't even think I would really stop you. I think I'd probably be like, yeah, that's true. Yep. Yeah, it's going to just turn into us going like, remember when this happened? Oh, my God. Yeah. So oh, that seems so great. That's so amazing. Yeah. Kurt Russell's beard and hair look amazing. Yeah. All of those things. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so join us next time for John Carpenter's The Thing. If you like the show, please leave us a rating review on iTunes. That would be amazing. And, uh, yeah, until next time, thank you, Amanda. Thank you, Clay. And we will see you then. Bye, everybody. Bye.